You're listening to Grassroots, www.innovationstudios.com. I am Marcus and I am back for week 21 of the Grassroots podcast, aimed at those of you who are gearing up, dusting off your old stuff, dragging it out the loft or the old shed to get it ready to hopefully be taking some bookings and get back out there in the parks and holiday parks and the clubs and the pubs of the UK. Um, I know what you're thinking already if you listened in last week that I said there was going to be something new and there was going to be some uh, new ideas and some fresh ideas. But due to a couple of conversations I had during the week uh, with a couple of listeners and a couple of people who sent me emails and uh, sent me some nice text messages just saying, you know, they really enjoyed it and, um, you know, hopefully it's not going to change too much. I just, I had a change of heart and when I opened my inbox uh, this morning, I suddenly realised I had a few questions and I thought, well, do you know what? I'm a great believer that sometimes if you feel it's getting stale, you should get out. But I'm also a great believer if it isn't broke, you shouldn't fix it. So, yeah, I've decided to carry on as I am, purely and simply because I feel that I've got a bit of momentum. Um, I had a look at the figures and every single week I seem to get slightly more figures. So the word's getting out there and I feel like I don't want to change too much. I don't think I'm really after that one golden... um, podcast or that one golden subject that makes a huge difference. I think I'm just after a a being consistent uh, kind of of podcast where people know what to expect. And yes, I'm still going to do the interviews. I still have some people lined up for the interviews, but I can't do them until the 17th of May. But this week, by the way, we've been allowed to do other things. We've been allowed to go to uh, have our nails done and have our hair cut. We've been able to go, I think we've been able to go to the pub and sit in the beer garden. I don't think anybody truly knows what the rules are, but there we are. So I had a change of heart and I've decided that I'm going to carry on um, and to just do what I do. And you know what, if it dries up, I'm happy with that. I've had a good run, but this is week 21. Um, I've had some good questions from you this week and I'm looking forward to having a chat with you. One of the comments I had from a gentleman that I know was... um, you know, you, you're, when you initially started, you were out to help people and talking about equipment and spec and stuff like that. Um, and he said, but there's a lot to, in the last few weeks that's been about your experiences and how you've done this. And maybe you should save that for your own interview. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I wasn't too offended. I did feel a little bit that the idea of a podcast, I guess, is is to entertain people. And to try and give you a snippet of information. And uh, so here comes my disclaimer. And you're going to get this every week now. My disclaimer is that all of the answers I give to your questions are based on my knowledge, the equipment that I use, and the knowledge that I have accumulated moving in my particular circle over the years. Over 30 years of, of doing this, I've been a musician since I left school. I can't, I couldn't imagine myself doing anything else. I couldn't imagine myself caring so much about doing another job and you learn very early in this industry that you have to trust your own judgment and it doesn't really matter if you listen to everybody you'll never play anything that's true to yourself you take advice but I think you have to trust your judgment so my disclaimer is that I answer the questions honestly from my own perspective and very much like being a professional in any in any genre or any profession it's important that if I don't have the answer, that I guide you in the right direction. And I know some of you 
although I haven't answered your question on the podcast because I didn't have the answer, I've referred you to several websites and I try and put the time in as much as I can to try and get back to you and to say, look, I don't, I don't use that or I've never, I've never used that. But here's uh, somebody who does. Um, and I put you in touch with a, with a few either people or websites or promoters or whatever it is you are looking for. And I'll continue to do that because really it's not about me. It's about me championing and being passionate about what I do. So if somebody asks me a question, and, and I took the trouble, believe me, for those of you who wonder, I took the trouble since that comment was, uh, <clears throat> I'd say thrown at me, but since that comment was suggested to me, I took the time to listen back to every single one of the 20 weeks podcasts that I've done. I've been listening to it in the car. I've been listening to it at 12, one o'clock in the morning. I've listened to every single one of them. And I don't feel that it had changed that much. I think um, I had a two or three weeks where I had a lot of good questions about people I'd seen or people I'd worked with. But I always feel that what I'm doing is I'm referencing places that other grass musicians will know about. I'm referencing um, guitars that grassroots musicians will play. It's no good me referencing a £25,000 Gibson Les Paul because people at my level are not really ever going to play one of those. And even if we did own one of those, we wouldn't want to put it on a stand in a pub somewhere or in a club somewhere. So I had a look through as well. I do some research. I had a look through uh, Google and various sites. And as far as I'm aware, I'm pretty much the only one doing it. Get like talking to people at this level and trying to communicate with people at this level. And I do feel that it's important when I'm talking about living the life that I've lived, and so many of you have lived a similar life, loading your gear on, going to the pub, getting there early, setting up, grabbing a sandwich, getting getting back two or three, four or five o'clock in the morning. There's more mileage in that, in terms of storytelling and laughter and, um, <clears throat> and advice than there ever will be in learning about chauffeur-driven limousines and uh, turning up and sound checking at one o'clock and then going and laying in your having a, having a, having a sleep on, on in your little room backstage, or having a lay in your jacuzzi that you've got sort of purpose made. You know, it's not to say that's that's a glamorous lifestyle, but really I feel like the 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 most important thing at our level, grassroots level, is how we learn about how we put our tracks together, how what microphones are affordable, the best way to set up our PA, who asks for the money at the end of the night. Who do we approach um, to get some shows? What? Who are the best promoters out there? What? You know, these are the things because you have to remember that once you get a record deal, it's all done for you. So we have to, and uh, and and I've done that for 30 years. And although I haven't been successful, that's the reason I do grassroots. Um, the point of it is that I'm sharing my experience, and I feel like I've I've paid my mortgages. And I've paid my bills and I've paid my dues and I've done it all because I care about music and I've done it all at grassroots level. There's never been any silver spoon. There's never been any record deal. So that's how I feel about that. And that's what I want everybody to know, that when you send me a question, I will answer it honestly and truthfully. And if I don't have the answer, I'll email you and I'll put you in touch with somebody else. So as much as I am... Um, for, for want of a better expression, the classroom leader, um, I feel that I am also a pupil 
and I'm keen to learn and I can't wait to do the interviews that I'm going to do because that's important. So because I want to share other people's experiences. That was the point of grassroots. So anyway, look, eight minutes in. Okay, I hope you've... <laughs> the other thing about it is I try and make it as entertaining as I can. I'm just trying to put myself out there, okay? So let's go through some of your questions. I've got some really, really good ones this week, which is why I couldn't wait to get in here and do it. The very, very first question I have is from Danielle, and she says, my son has recently been contacting a venue in order to get some shows for later in the year, trying to get some band showcases. My uncle Terry has said, be careful that they're not operating a pay-to-play policy. Have you heard of this, and do you know what it is? Um, yes, I have heard of it. Not only have I heard of it, I've also been a victim of it. And also, um, although I don't know if they do now, it was something that the Musicians' Union were trying to clamp down on. Now, whilst it's not my job to accuse anybody of making a cheap buck at somebody else's expense, um, we there are venues that I've played over the years that will say to you, and here's a prime example, we'll give you 150 tickets. If you sell the 150 tickets, you keep the money. If you only sell 100 tickets, you have to give us the equivalent amount of money back. So let's say you, we give you 150 tickets and we expect you to sell them at uh, £4. So there you are, £4, so that's £600, okay? If you only sell 100 tickets, you've got to give us £200. Now, it's happening less and less, but that's what the pay-to-play policy was. Um, and it was rife in the 90s at some of the showcases and some of the battle in the bands and stuff like that. Now, I have to say that most of the venues that I played and I was associated with didn't do it. It tended to be up in London and it tended to be in a certain area of London that's quite synonymous with original music. And um, yeah, it was, it was one of those, and we've had that a few times. If you, and we've also had, if you want to play here, um, yeah, anything where they're saying we're going to give you the tickets to sell, you've got to be careful that it isn't a pay-to-play policy. So I think, to be fair, um, your Uncle Terry is a bit old school like me, and I think he's probably um, worried that he's, he, he would have been probably screwed over more than once if he was in this, in this business, um, as everybody that ever does it has been screwed over at least once and I would say probably at least five times if you've been in the game for any any more than what five years but that's what the pay-to-play policy was and the musicians union in the 90s and and around the turn of the millennium were trying to clamp down on it and they they were trying to be careful and I'm not saying it still exists I'm just saying that I'm sure that there are some promoters who've got round that um, in a different way. So you didn't actually come up with the money to pay to play, but what you did was via uh, the tickets, if you didn't sell enough tickets, you had to give them the rest of the money um, for those tickets. And that's what the pay to play policy was, and that's how it was seen. And that's why a lot of musicians who respect this industry and, and want to continue in, in this industry realize that a lot of people were making a lot of money from people just trying to get a platform and that's well that's not a good thing right need help setting up your own home studio why not book a consultation online 
Here at Innovation Studios, we can help and advise on the best equipment for you, your ideas, your budget, and your space. Maybe even book a home visit. We can help you set up, install, and use your software, offering a recording workshop in your very own studio in your very own home, going through techniques and offering advice and guidance to get you up and running. Go to www.innovationstudios.com for further information. Question number two comes from Simon, and Simon is in Dawes Heath. And Simon says, oh, goodness me, I can't believe I've gone and done that. I'm sorry, Simon. Simon messages. Hi, Marcus. I can't get a backing track for a particular song I'm after to perform. Is there a way of taking the original song and removing the vocal so I can use it as a backing track? Um, oh, this is a touchy one, but um, I suppose if people get offended by my little podcast, I suppose that's a good thing, but I don't, I don't know. I think, I don't know exactly, and I couldn't, I couldn't tell you exactly how the backing track system works or where it, where it uh, appears in terms of taking somebody else's performance. So, um, I'm not really sure that I can advise too much but the only thing i can say is whilst whilst we haven't named the artist and we haven't named the um record company or anything like that let's just assume simon that you are in a band and then somebody asks you to perform um solo with a backing track and then you can't get a backing track from uh the recording that you made from that album so let's just assume that that you can't you know so it's your music it's your it's your stuff. And then, then we're pretty safe, okay? So if we make that assumption, and if we say it's our music and we own the rights and all that sort of stuff, um, there are programs out there, and there's a thing called a vocoder, V-O-C-O-D-E-R. Now, I don't feel like I'm bending the rules because at the end of the day, I can mention things like Napster. I can mention things like um, torrent, file sharing, cloud, Everybody seems to be doing that. So I can mention it, but it's what you do with it that makes the difference. So that, that's, that's my little disclaimer on this one. But there is a thing called vocoder, and, and um, I have used it, uh, and I have to say, not for backing tracks. I've used it for a very similar reason that I had. I was in, the, I wanted to play a, perform a couple of shows by the matching, and I thought it would be pretty cool to just um, see if I could get a nice mixed version of one of the songs. And... And I tried this vocoder. Now, what the vocoder does, and it's on Audacity, and it's on, I'm sure it's on many other things. It's a plug-in, and it's, uh, as far as I'm aware, it's a free plug-in. You can get them. But what the vocoder does is pretty much cut the middle um, of, the, of the mix. So it keeps the left and the right, but it kind of just starts cutting down. It cuts down all the mid-range and everything where the vocal would be. And what you end up with is sometimes you get lucky and you listen to it and you say, well, there's hardly any vocal on that. There's always a little bit, but it can sometimes sound a little bit like reverb in the background. So if you're lucky, sometimes that can happen. Um, but the other thing as well is um, it's pretty rare that, that you get real success with it, but you can experiment and try a few things. And um, I like it, Simon. I like it as um, as just sometimes if I'm working with singers, and um, rather than trying to download a backing track for, for you know, two, two or three quid, which if you start 
teaching six or seven singers in a day and you're downloading four tracks. Um, you know, what we're looking at there, 28 tracks at two quid. You're doing £60 a day in, um, in backing tracks. So what I try and do sometimes is I get to the point where I've let them sing along with the song just to, to make them feel a bit confident. And then if I can't find the backing track on YouTube or anything like that, which again, I'm not downloading anything, I'm just playing it from the site, um, then sometimes I will try and use the vocoder and to see if I can just drop the vocal in that mix so that somebody can sing along with it. I don't really think it's that good. It's good enough to take and perform live. I don't think I'd feel comfortable taking it and, and performing live with it. Um, but if you've got a particularly good one, there's no reason why why you shouldn't. So have a look at some vocoders and see if um, any of those uh, work for you. Try them. Um, and you, usually you can get them fairly free as, as free VST plugins. Um, give it a try, Simon. You've got nothing to lose, mate. But that's what you can... That's something that uh, I've tried and it's something that you might want to try. Keith says, Hi, Marcus. I just wondered... Um, I'm just starting guitar and I wondered what to look forward to. What's the biggest hurdle to overcome in the early stages of learning the guitar? Hello, Keith. Um, well, the biggest hurdle to overcome is, uh, as I would say, self-confidence. But I think it's it's strengthening the fingers. It's getting the, the on the left hand, it's getting um, them stronger because they need to get to the point where the tips of the fingers toughen up. And if they... Uh, when you first play guitar, they're quite soft. They're a bit like Play-Doh. And all they do is they sit on the string and they sort of uh, envelope the string and sort of squidge around it. And they don't go on it. They're not, um, you know, it's not like a, a hammer. You know, it's, it's not like, it's a bit like using a sponge hammer to knock a nail in. So what you need to have is you need to just play um, those chords as much as you can and squeeze them as hard as you can so you get the lines on your fingers and then that will eventually your body will ex your, your, your mind and your body will think well this guy wants to do something that he needs tougher fingers for and, and you suddenly look down and you realise that you, your, your tips of your fingers have toughened up so that's the thing Keith that's the thing to the biggest hurdle in the very early stages the biggest hurdle after that is uh, moving the chords around um, and learning how to move your hand. Because uh, as I've said before, when you learn the guitar, any any instrument really, mandolin or whatever, but when you learn the guitar, um, you are effectively retraining the tendons and, and, and in your hand to make shapes they've never made. So it's going to take a while to get used to playing a D shape, playing an A minor, playing a C, playing an E. It's going to take a while to get used to it. And um, that's a big hurdle to overcome as well. Um, the strum patterns and things like that, yeah, that's that's um, they can they can sometimes take a while. But everybody's different, and everybody learns a at a different pace, and b in a different way. So you have to be, I suppose, as a tutor, you have to be adaptable. You have to be able to say, okay, well, look, strum pattern's really good. So if I if I keep the chords simple, then they'll start to believe. So belief is such a huge part of it. But I think I think. That's a huge part of everything, really. If you, if we go to work, there's there's a point where we just believe we can do our job and we don't really think about it. And the guitar is the same as that. The other thing to remember, this is a very, very, I think it's a very important piece of information as well. Anybody that's ever played guitar will probably know, is that it isn't like a gradual 
incline. It isn't like a plane taking off. It's like a plane taking off and staying at a couple of thousand feet for about an hour, you know. And then all of a sudden, something clicks and you shoot up to 35,000 feet. And that's what it is with a guitar. When you first start learning it, you're thinking, this, this, I can't get this to go. My fingers won't move. My right hand won't strum. It's going all over the place. And, and then it gradually kind of hovers all around for a while while you're trying to move the chords and the strum pattern sounds the same and the chords sound the same and, the, and your fingers are still like Play-Doh and they're still squashing on there and they're still not doing the job. And then all of a sudden you pick up the guitar one day and you think this sounds better. And then the next day after that, you're suddenly at, you know, you suddenly find yourself at, at 35,000 feet being able to play chords, move them around. And then um, cross-referencing a load of stuff. You know, oh, I'll go to A minor and C on this one. Oh, I'll go, oh, that one, I've seen A minor and C. Or E minor to D for for something. Oh, I've played E minor and D um, on that other one. So all of a sudden you have all of this early knowledge that all sort of sits in your mind and then once you get to that level you're at 35,000 feet with somebody like me saying to you okay this has got an A in it it's got a C in it is there anything you don't recognize and then you might say okay well there's uh, I don't recognize um, F so we get I'll say okay well look, F's your homework for this week then learn to play an F and now when you learn to play the F you are let's say a couple of months down the line so your fingers have got used to making different shapes. So when you come back the following week, nine times out of ten, you've probably got that F or the C or whatever it is the new chord because you're doing it with everything that you've already learned behind you. When I do this podcast, I'm doing it with 30 years behind me. I don't know what's in front of me. So I can only focus on what I've achieved. And if I am trying to do or approach something new or I turn up at a new venue that haven't seen me, chances are that I won't try anything too new. I'll step out and I'll say, no, we'll stay with the stuff that I know. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. And, the, and that's the process of learning, the process of improving, the process of, of growing as a musician and as a guitar player, Keith. So um, toughening the fingers up. There's no short way. It's not like ballet dancers soaking your feet in surgical spirit. It's just um, playing. And playing for, you know, 15 minutes a day is good because any more than that, if you get in bad habits, it's harder to get back out of them again. Um, but really, it's just getting your hand used to making those shapes. Sometimes play the guitar or hold the guitar, but move the shapes around, but don't strum it. So that way your hand is just moving that. We've talked about this before. You can do the four chords in five seconds thing, you know, start the clock, stop the clock, things like that. Listen back for more advice on that, or if you're not sure... I'll send you an email, but that's the biggest hurdle. It's it's getting to the plateau point at like a couple of thousand feet where you're hovering around and thinking, I'm never getting better, I'm never getting better, but you are. What's happening is subconsciously, although it sounds the same every day, your hand and your mind is getting used to playing it. And then all of a sudden it goes, right, you're ready now, and you go. Singers out there will know that when, you're, when you first start singing, and even now, there's a point where you sing and sing and sing and then your voice goes, and you wonder if it's going to come back, and when it comes back, it's stronger. It's just like a transitional thing. That's all it is. It's just your body sort of says, hang on a minute, slow down a bit. I need to make a few adjustments. I need to get, you know, uh, uh, I'm going to make you ill for a couple of days, so you're bedridden. And then when you get up on Thursday and you start feeling better, you'll realise that what I've done is I've 
I've improved a few things. I've tweaked a few things about you. I am basically the mechanic and I've sorted a few things out and you're going to run better than you did before. It's just, you've got to get past this, this uh, point. So the transitional bits, Keith, but um, that's it. There was, a, there was another a question as well, which came from Dennis and Dennis said, uh, best practice techniques for guitar chords. Again, as I just said, Dennis, move them around, get used to them. Sometimes um, just uh, don't strum, just hold the guitar and move it around. Um, there are various tools as well, various things that you can buy on on uh, Amazon and eBay and all of these websites. I'm sure Gear for Music probably do it, where it's like a guitar neck and you can just move it around. I made one years ago, just cut the neck off of a guitar and um, put six strings on it, and I was able to just keep that in my sports bag. Not, I didn't make it for me. I made it for a pupil, and he he was able to take it with him. And if he was at, a, at an hour at work, instead of taking his guitar in and strumming it, he could sit at his desk and just have the neck of the guitar with the strings on it, and you know, with the tuners at the top, and just move it around. Couldn't strum it because it, it was out of tune, but he could move that and get used to the feeling of the strings. So, Dennis, that's the answer for that one. Um, the other, another one about guitar comes from Andrea, and Andrea says, Hi, Marcus, I'm learning guitar. I'm getting to a level where I'm fairly happy with it at the moment, but I'm only playing sat down. I'm finding it really hard to stand up. How am I ever going to improve or play shows if I can't stand up and play? Um, <laughs> Andrea, it's, um, it's just a, it's a, a strange transitional thing. But um, I think when we first try and learn guitar, we find that um, we try and play a bit like a coffee table, i.e. We're, we're either peering over the top, trying to stretch our neck like a giraffe, or we're holding the guitar a bit flatter or on our lap so we can see what we're doing. In order to stand up and play, you've got to be able to move the chords by not um, looking as much. So you've got to, if, if you're sitting down and you're, you're, let's say you're laid back on a reclining chair and playing, then before you start thinking about standing up, learn to play on, let's say, a kitchen chair where you're sitting a bit more upright. And although you're sitting down, you're more where the guitar would be when you're standing. And um, guitar players go on touch, we don't go on sight. So we, again, if we get to the point where your hand is making those shapes, and fixing those, you know, you, you get, get used to your hand making the shape. All you've got to do really is as you look down, think about the finger that is closest to you as you look down, get that in the right place. And then you use things like uh, muscle memory and, and what I call the invisible glue, where you get used to where you, where you glue your hand together to make that shape. So that's something to think about, Andrea, um, in order to stand up. Um, but sometimes when you stand up, the strap is a bit too... Uh, high or a bit too low and you need to have it in a comfortable position it is practice but it's also trusting yourself and um, so I would say don't think about standing up with it for a month just play in a sitting position but on a kitchen chair or an office chair or something where you're a bit more upright rather than reclining on a sofa and playing I'm not saying that you are doing that but I'm saying the the biggest fear is that we're going to want to play guitar and not be able to look and we have to take the visual out of it in order to improve I guess uh, that's all I can say but um, important to just uh, sit up straight when you're playing do you have a song in your head turn your ideas into full songs with a team of professional musicians engineers and producers 
we can turn even the simplest demo into full studio quality recordings. Go to www.innovationstudios.com. Alistair and Billy Ricky says, Hi Marcus, should I record in stereo or mono when I am sticking tracks on my album? Um, I think mono is best. Um, of course you can. Sometimes it varies. If you want a nice strong guitar and you've got... Um, you know, you've got, I mean, in my case, a Line 6 pod, because I'm old, I'm old school, but sometimes the, the Boss GTs or things have stereo outputs. And if you've got a stereo output for your guitar, and then you can then uh, do that, and then maybe you could pan it left and right and get a bigger picture, so you're getting two signals from, from one guitar, which you could, as I say. But all you're really doing then is making them mono signals anyway by splitting them. So I think mono is best because it, what, what happens is it becomes a stereo picture anyway. And if you record something in stereo, let's say you record uh, an acoustic guitar in stereo and you try and leave it in stereo, what you'll find is um, that you can't pan it left and right. And if you do pan it left and right, you can't split that signal. Um, you, all, all that happens... Um, Alistair, is you end up just splitting the signal and putting it somewhere else. The idea of the difference between mono and stereo, let's just take the drums for a second. If we're mixing all of those drums, and if all of those drums are, re are recorded in mono, you can then place them within the stereo mix. The best way to, I'm just trying to think the best way of trying to describe this, but I, I don't really know, is let, let's just say you, you lay a blanket out on the on the floor, and the blanket is your stereo mix, Okay. Now, within that blanket, you're going to have a picnic today, Alistair, right? I know this sounds a bit out there, but it's true. So what do you do? What you do is you say, okay, I'm going to put uh, the nachos right in the middle of that blanket. Now, if you've got two bowls of nachos, where are you going to put them? So you put the one bowl of nachos right in the middle, so that's in the center of the blanket. And then what you do is you say, um, okay, now I've got two bowls of uh Two, two trays of sandwiches, one on the right, one on the left. So as you look down, that's effectively your stereo mix. You've got your vocal in the middle, which is your uh, nachos. You've got a sandwich either side, which is effectively your guitar. But the blanket represents the stereo mix. So within that stereo mix, what you don't want to do is put anything on top of anything else. So if you come along and you say, right, I've got some, um, I don't know, chips, well, you don't want to put the chips on the sandwiches. So you want to put them just next to them. Maybe a bit more forward, i.e. in terms of volume. So although I'm getting a little bit technical, <laughs> and uh, probably there are probably 10 or 15 of you are laying a blanket out, but it just came to me as a way of explaining it. But when you're laying out a picnic blanket, you don't put everything on top of everything else. The picnic blanket represents your stereo mix, and everything that you put on it represents a mono si signal that you can then put everywhere everywhere else. If you have everything mixed in stereo, then everything has to be put on the left and the right and there's nothing in the middle. Vocals should be in the middle. Guitars panned over to each side. Maybe the bass over to slightly one side. So if you record in mono, you can move the mono uh, tracks in and around that overall sound. Okay, 
I don't know how I got onto that, Alistair, but I hope that even if you don't like music, even if people out there who don't like music that hear this, found that entertaining. I don't know whether you did. Daniel says, Hi Marcus, I'm just getting into singing and I just wondered, is it easy to change a female backing track down to a male key, as there don't seem to be many options online? Um, it isn't easy to do, and it isn't, uh, it's very much trial and error, Daniel. It's very much, um, you know, it's worth a try, but I, I, I don't, I don't know if it always works and vice versa. If you, if you want to try and take a male song and turn it into a female key, um, there are different methods and different ways of doing it. I think if you go onto karaoke version and, and the custom track, or even to be fair, even the vocal tracks, you can take them up by, I think it's a tone or down by a tone, but that isn't really enough to switch it from a female key to a male key. Um, so you need to go outside the box a little bit. Um, on Audacity, there is um, a program or there is a, a VST and it's just called Pitch. Um, and or, or or you can um, you can use yeah I would use I would use pitch I wouldn't use anything else because everything else will speed it up. So when you go into pitch, and then you what you do is you can click on it you can click on the box and it will say, okay what do you go what do you want to go from? So let's say you go up by um, uh, two and a half tones five plus five. Now what I've found over the years is um, this is where the knowledge is, is good to know. So sometimes uh, maybe do a little research on, um, on the knowledge of keys in as much as uh, some lower keys and things like that. If, if a guitar is being played in G and then you take it down by five, it's going to sound awful. If you take it up by five, it might work because it will sound like it's got a capo on. So, um, and the bass, if you take the bass up by five, you might find it's, it's got a capo on it. So it will sound a bit higher, but it might not be too bad. Um, the, other, the other thing is, again, it depends on what key the song is in. If, if the key is already being played on a capo, and you, you can then slow it down by five, and it sounds like the guitar hasn't got a capo on and doesn't sound too bad. As a rule, I would always say, rather than going down by six, go up by six, and then listen to what, what happens there. Um, but you have to, in order to do that, you need to download it as an MP3 and then load it onto your um, digital audio workstation or your, your, you know, your program that you use to, to do your music. Um, VLC, actually, Media Player, has a, an option um, to, as you're singing along with it, to speed it up or take it down. It's, uh, I'm trying to think where it is, but it's under, it's under the options and tools, I think. So you have an option there to listen to your track and then tweak it up or down and see what sounds best before you then look at the other ways of improving it. Um, but as a rule, it's um, I don't think it's unfair of me to say it's probably easier to take a male key and speed it up than it is to take a female key and slow it down. And of course, there's no such thing because there are some songs that are you know, there. For instance, "Breakfast at Tiffany's" is in D, um, by uh, Deep Blue something, and but "Thorn in My Side" by the Eurythmics is in D. So you you you're thinking, well, it's just two completely and utterly different ends of the vocal spectrum. So if you're taking a song, and you want to sing it in your own key, um, sometimes 
um, you either speed it up by five or six or you slow it down by five or six. Um, but it depends on how it sounds to start with. Um, it's one of those things, I think, Daniel, it's one of those things where I've tried to explain it, but um, if you want to inbox me uh, or email me at um, innovationstudiosuk at gmail.com, I'll be happy to, you know, give you 10 minutes to um, to go on Skype or go on Zoom and just uh, screen share. And I'll say to you, try that, press that, press that, and then you're done. All right. I don't want anything for that. It's not it's not like it's not a financial thing. It's just, um, you know, I'm trying to explain it. And if you really don't have any luck with that, then I'll I'll drift on there. Just let me know. Find me at Innovation Studios on Skype and um, then we'll get together and fight and screen share and I'll get that sorted out. Okay. Philip says, Hi Marcus, my guitar just won't stay in tune. Is there anything obvious that I need to look for? Hello Philip. Um, how old are the strings, first of all? Um, how high are they away from the fretboard? Um, and also how loose are your tuning pegs? So there's th three things there that um, to look for. So sometimes if your strings are really old, they, they're they just on the way out. Sometimes the, the binding comes off or the, the, the winding, I should say, comes off and they start to stretch a little bit. Um, on acoustic guitars, sometimes, I know it sounds like a strange thing, but I know everybody that's ever played acoustic will know you. Sometimes when you poke the string down into the bridge before you pull it up and, when you, and you hold it in with the peg, Sometimes you have a little bit of extra give underneath that peg. It's not maybe it's not always as tight as it could be, and then as you start tightening the string, it sits for a while and then it moves. It slides underneath underneath the bridge there, not the bridge, but you know the the uh, I suppose you could call it the tailpiece. Um, so check that it's got a fairly new set of strings on it. The other thing to look for as well is, uh, like I said, the tuning pegs. Have a look. Sometimes they have a little screw on the outside, which if you get one of those little screwdrivers, you're able to tighten and make it harder to turn. And if you make it harder to turn, then it won't move and it will hopefully lock in in one place. So what have we covered so far? Intonation is not as important. We had a look at the, at the tailpiece and the bridge. We've had a look at where the strings are. The other thing is how they're put on the guitar as well. It's important. There are plenty of tutorials on online anyway, but um, some people, um, wrap the string round and round and round and round and then poke it through. But what you're effectively doing when you do that is creating a spring which ultimately will move. The best way is to poke it through first and then hold it and you make a loop with the other bit and then you wrap it round and round and round and round. There are a few um, different options in there and probably there's a really, really good one. Um, Ralph McTell talks about how he puts his strings on and it's on YouTube. It's really, really good and, and I... I would love to say that I used these techniques, but I tried to, and then I forgot. And um, but the way to do it is poke it through the hole first on the tuning peg, and then start to, start to sort of make a loop with what you have back from the tuning peg towards the, the the neck of the guitar. Make a loop with that, hold on to that, and then tighten it round. So don't wrap it round and round and round and poke it through because you're already creating a spring that will spring. Um, so yeah, new strings. Uh, make sure they're pulled tight at the at the peg. Make sure that the tuning pegs are tightened so they're not moving at all. Make sure that um, you've put the strings on properly. Um, 
and also the other thing as well don't um if it's if you're keeping it in a really really cold place or a really really warm place and then you keep changing the atmosphere and the temperature let's say you only ever play guitar out in the shed but you keep your guitar indoors and if you're only playing for 20 minutes a day you're taking the guitar out of the warm environment sat by the you know sat by the radiator in the front room out into the freezing cold and what happens then is the strings then react to that i'm not 100 percent sure what they do but i can tell you um that they they don't always stay in tune um anybody that's played guitar will know that there is there isn't really much of a difference um between uh, the guitars during the summer they come out of the warm van you take them into the warm venue and they're fine but in the winter when they've been in the back of the van on let's say a six hour journey and they're freezing cold in the case and then you take them out of the case um and uh, you know you try and tune them and they get under the warm lights the strings expand it's it's almost like you know you can't keep the rotten things in tune and that's what happens sometimes with that it's um you know the the string so if you're taking it out of the warm living room out to the garage to practice because your missus don't want to hear you strumming for a e minor and a minor then that's uh, something else to look for other than that um it's really sometimes how you're tuning it maybe uh you know just just keep checking your tuning now and again uh there is one one final tip as well is that once you've got your guitar in tune just at the 12th fret and you have to do this gently philip just put your finger under the string and just lift it and bounce it a couple of times don't ping it don't pull it too tight but just a little bit because what that does is it pulls it tight at the uh, at the nut or at the tuning peg and tight at the uh, bridge or the towel piece which then just and then you might find that when you do that then when you suddenly play the, the note you'll find it's maybe uh, uh, you know a semitone out just where you've had that that little bit of play so you tune it back in again do it again a couple of times play it listen to it yeah okay it's still a bit flat um do it again then it stays then you do it again and it stays move on to the next string work across that way but it just pulls that string uh, gently you've got to do it gently but it just gently pulls from both ends um, just to hold that that in. Um, so a, again, that answers another question um, from Ray, who says the best way to tune a guitar. Um, again, just just uh, tune it like that. The other thing as well is you can use, once you get to a certain level and you're able to, to uh, play guitar fairly proficiently, um, I think a lot of professional musicians and people I've worked with over the years always believe that um, harmonic tuning is best, that you, you just play the harmonic note at the 12th fret and tune it because um, they, they just believe that it, it eliminates any buzz from any of the other strings. Um, it focuses on just the string you're tuning as opposed to sometimes if you keep the guitar open and, and play the E string, the string next to it sometimes buzzes, where if you do it as a harmonic, it's less likely to happen. But I don't know if it's foolproof or not, but I can tell you that it's pretty much um, something that I've seen probably more than most other things um, in, in the business. A lot of people use the harmonic tuning. So that's something to, to think about. Um, there were a couple of other questions. I'm going to save them for next week. And I'll look forward to seeing you then. But listen, thanks for being me, mate. Thanks for listening in. And by the way, I hope you enjoyed my new theme tune at the start. Uh, yeah, that's got to be stuck in your head for a while. I've had that. Um, so I've got some new, new music, some new themes and stuff like that. 
Um, and we continue to try and move forwards here. I've gone a bit longer than the, the last couple of weeks, but you've got to remember I ranted for the first five, six minutes. Um, I hope you took a lot from that. I hope that um, you enjoyed yourselves and I hope you enjoyed this little uh, 45 minutes of being here with me because I enjoyed it being here with you. Take very good care of yourselves. I'll be back here next week. I'm only now just a few weeks away from doing those interviews again. And I'm really looking forward to them. And then we can get some more content and some more information out there. Remember, www.innovationstudios.com. That's the website. You can email me at innovationstudiosuk at gmail. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter under Innovation Studios. And you can find us on Skype. If you want to add us on there, because um, sometimes I'm looking maybe to, to, to do some sort of group thing somewhere along the line. So um, might be an option for me to do that. But you can do that because sometimes I have a couple of hours free and I think, OK, there's three or four of you where I said I'd do that. And I said I'd do that earlier for uh, I think it was Daniel. Apologies if it wasn't. Um, so I can screen share and sort that out for you. But look. I'll continue to do this as long as you continue to listen. Thanks for your subscriptions. Thanks for your emails. Thanks for your time. And thanks for your love and support, all right? Take very good care of yourselves, and I'll be back next week. If you go out to the pub, make sure you sit outside. Make sure you wear a coat. And make sure that you follow all of the guidelines so you can raise a glass. And raise a glass to me, because I'll be raising one to you. Look after yourselves. I'll be back next week. Yours in music. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye for now.